This message is brought to you by Moira Pentecostal Church. We hope that it will encourage, challenge, and develop you into the person God has made you to be. First chapter of the book of Revelation. By the way, it's never Revelations. Lots of people call it the book of Revelations. It isn't really. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I just want to read two verses, verses 7 and 8 at this point. Referring to Christ, of course, it says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Most books, be it a murder mystery, a suspense thriller, an action adventure, or a romantic novel, ends with some kind of a climax. The author wants his book to be a page-turner. And he wants you gripped with the story right to the very end. And in that respect, the Bible is no different. God saves the greatest climax until the end. And the book of Revelation is the climax. It's the finale. It is the curtain closer to the whole story of man's redemption and the plan of God for man on earth. In Revelation, we see climax after climax after climax. We see the climax of the ages. We see the climax of the nations in Revelation 19. We see the climax of God's judgment. See this again and again. There are 21 distinct judgments. There are seven trumpet judgments, which are followed by seven Sorry, seven seal judgments that are followed by seven trumpet judgments, which were followed by seven bold judgments. And every one of them is more severe than the one that precedes it. We see the climax of Satan and the false prophet and the Antichrist, that unholy trinity. We see the climax of God's personal judgment against every single unbeliever that has ever lived. You see that at the great white throne of judgment in Revelation chapter 20. We see the climax of the resurrections. The resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. We see the climax of God's plan for this earth. Where he sends the new Jerusalem, the holy city of God. That magnificent, huge, 1500 square mile city down to earth, where the kings of the nations of the saved come and pay their homage and give their honor to God. But of course, the greatest climax of all is the personal, literal, visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. This has been so long promised. So many promises have been given regarding this. And right now, tonight, 
you and I are on the very threshold of the greatest climax of all of man's history, the imminent return of Jesus Christ, the soon coming return of the Lord. His grand entrance on the stage of this world is almost upon us. The midnight hour is about to be struck. No man can stop it. No devil or demon in hell can stop it. The die is cast. The course is set. The plan is underway even as we speak. The signs are being fulfilled thick and fast. All hell may rage. Man may shake his puny fist in scorn. But the Bible says in Psalm 2 that God in heaven shall laugh at them. In fact, if I could just quickly just quote Psalm 2 to you. Why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision and he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Amen. People, do you realize tonight that Christ's coming, his soon coming, is in two distinct parts. Do you know that tonight? First, he will come for his saints. We'll see this in a moment in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And then secondly, he will come with his saints in Revelation 1. First, he comes in the clouds. 1 Thessalonians 4, in the air. And secondly, in Revelation 1, he comes with clouds. What does that mean? Comes with clouds. Most believe that he's talking about that great multitude of believers that he has taken to be home with him. And when he comes back again, they will come with him. Hebrews 12 talks about we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. We read that in Revelation 1. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. But look at 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, 1 Thessalonians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4, Paul had been with this church for just a little while, and he had to leave. And then he sent Timothy to them in his absence. And by the time he left, and by the time Timothy went and reported back to him, 
uh, quite a number of these believers had died, had fallen asleep in Christ. Because Paul had been teaching them about the second coming of the Lord, uh, they were concerned about their friends who had died. What would happen to them? So Paul puts them straight. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so he comes for us in the clouds. And then later on, he comes back to this earth physically. And he comes back with us. Not for us, but with us. Notice here in verse 16 that he comes with a shout. Only three places in Scripture does it tell us that the Lord shouted. First time we see it at the grave of Lazarus. Where he cries with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. A shout. And then we see it on the cross. Where again with a loud voice he cries, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke 23. And then, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He shouts that with a loud voice in Matthew 27. And notice what happens after that. When he shouted at the graveside of Lazarus, a dead man rose up. And when he shouts on the cross, listen to what happens. Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming up out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. The first two shouts signaled a resurrection of Lazarus, and some of the saints. The third time he shouted, signaled not just the resurrection of the saints, but the rapture of the saints. What a shout that's going to be. And we will hear that shout. <laughs> Sally and I was on that boat, that ship, a couple of weeks ago, and at half one in the morning when that Voice came through those speakers. Bravo, 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 midships, midships. <laughs> and you're sound asleep and you have no idea what that means. I tell you, you're wide awake. <laughs> you don't sleep for a while. And everybody in their cabins heard it. Everybody in that ship heard it. 
And whenever Christ shouts, every saint of God is going to hear it. And every saint of God that has died to that point is going to hear that shout. <clears throat> and they will go up first. And then we will go up and join them. Glory to God. What a shout of triumph that's going to be. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. When we are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The whole idea of the second coming of Christ for the believer is one of comfort. Comfort one another with these words. Not to be scary for us. It's to be something that comforts us. Had we known what bravo, bravo, bravo meant, we wouldn't have been so afraid at that moment. But we were ignorant of it. But we're not ignorant of this, sure we're not. Because it's right in the Bible for us to understand. And notice it says, she'll be caught up together. Caught up here, the word means to snatch up, to grab hastily, to catch away. And it denotes a, a suddenness. Now there's nothing unusual or new about that being caught up. We know that Elijah was caught up, wasn't he? Elisha saw him going up. My father, my father, the horsemen of Israel and the chariots thereof. Hmm. We know that Enoch was caught up. Enoch walked with God and one day is out walking and he just walked right up into heaven. He's caught up. We know that Jesus himself was caught up. And the Mount of Olives, the disciples all around him, suddenly he was caught up and they saw him going up into heaven. The angel says, you men of Galilee, why are you standing looking up there? This same Jesus that you saw go up will come back down again. If you saw him go, he will come back. The only difference in this caught up is that it's suddenly. That it is so fast. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the great resurrection chapter, listen to what it says in verse 50 onwards. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. <laughs> For the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. What a moment that's going to be. Not even in a wink of an eye or the blink of an eye, but the twinkling of an eye. A tomos is the word, and an atom of time. An atom of time. Can't even begin to imagine how fast that is. One moment we'll be here, and in an atom of time, we'll be with the Lord in the air. Hallelujah. Oh, that's enough to make you say, praise God, isn't it? Whew, we've got to be ready for that. In Matthew chapter 24... 
where it's not really talking about the rapture, but it is talking about Christ's return physically to this earth. Not when he comes to the air, but when he comes to the earth. We come with him. Verse 27, speaking about his return. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the carcass is, the eagles will be gathered together. And he goes on to talk about this. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together as a lack from the four winds from the end of the heaven, one end of heaven to the other. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Lightning travels at the speed of a hundred million feet per second. That's fast, isn't it? No time for repentance. No time for a change of mind. No time to get right with God then. Too late. Happens too quickly. All chances are gone. And so this will not be done on a corner. This will be done in a way when he physically returns, every eye shall see him. In Second Thessalonians, just where we were a moment ago, only go over to Second Thessalonians. Now let me give you a little bit of the background <clears throat> to these two books. Apostle Paul, as I said, spent a very short time with these believers at Thessalonica. Uh, most commentators reckon it was probably just a few weeks, perhaps a month. And interestingly, in that short space of time, in these two books, these two letters he writes back to them, he reminds them of what he taught them. Now, even though the Apostle Paul wrote some 13 or 14 books of the New Testament, depending whether he was the author of Hebrews. And even though they're not in the order that he wrote them, what we find is that these were the first books he wrote. These were the first letters. But they don't appear first in our New Testament. But these were his first letters. And isn't it interesting that he writes about last things first? He's only got a few weeks with them. And among other things he shares with them, the main thrust of his message was the second coming of Christ. Every chapter in 1 Thessalonians speaks of the second coming of Christ. And then he had to go away. Because of persecution, he had to get out of there. He sent Timothy to get a report. They were doing well. Some had died. So he writes to them, reminding them what he told them. But something else happened in his absence. 
false teachers wrote letters to this church and forged his signature and made out that Paul had changed his mind about the second coming, that the Lord actually had come. And so Paul writes then the second letter to correct that and remind them what he had taught them. And then as well as that, in the second Thessalonian letter, he doesn't so much talk about the coming of Christ, but the coming of the Antichrist. And he reminds them what he taught about that too. So with that kind of context, let's have a little look here at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is God or that is worshipped. This is speaking about the Antichrist, the man of perdition, this horrible, wicked, evil, Satan-filled, energized man who will come. Make no mistake about it. The stage is being set for his coming also. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called, all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. I haven't time to get into all of this tonight. If you want to understand all of this in its context, we have a series in the book of Revelation. It's a 24-part series, so it goes into it in a lot of depth. But just let me say this. At some point, the Jewish temple will be rebuilt. And from what I'm hearing, from what I'm reading, plans is already underfoot for that have been drawn up to be prepared for that to be built. Where it's going to be built is the bone of contention. But what it is, and when Antichrist comes, he's going to strike a deal and make a covenant with the Jews for seven years. But in the midst of that seven years, he will break his covenant. And he will come into that temple and set up, set up his idol in the most holy place which is an absolute abomination. The abomination of desolation, the Bible calls it. So Paul's warning about this. He says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining. This is important. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. When? When the restrainer is taken out of the way. Now who is the restrainer? Well, there's always been argument about this. Most feels it's the Holy Spirit. Others feel it's the Holy Spirit 
working through his church. And at the rapture, when they're taken away, then all restraints will be gone. Can you imagine a world tonight without the restrainer, without either the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit working through his church to try to restrain the evil that's coming on this earth? Think about the evil that is here. Think about the evil that is coming even this very day. And that's with the Holy Spirit. And that's with the church. Without that, then Satan will be able to have full course and usher in the Antichrist without letter hindrance. At the minute he can't. Not time yet. But there will come a time when this son of lawlessness will reign and will rule. What a wicked, evil, horrible world that's going to be. Think about the minute, at this very minute, even with the Holy Spirit, even with all the efforts of the church around the world. Think of how many things has been attacked today that is good, that's godly, that's scriptural, that's right. And it's being torn down and attacked every single day. Because man is trying to cast off all restraints. They don't want the Bible. They don't want the Judeo-Christian religion. They don't want anything telling them this is wrong. You can't do that. It's not biblical. It's not right. It's an abomination of God. They don't want to hear that. They want to cast off all of those restraints. You think of the 60s when the sexual revolution started. And you're thinking over those 40, 50 years since then, how much restraints has been cast off. Never would have believed it in a million years that's got as bad as it is. Think of all of that. Think of the gay rights issue and how suddenly within just a few short years how that has risen up to the very highest echelons of government. One of the ministers in the conservative government this week has gone to the gay lesbian community and asked them for a wish list, a wish list for the government to look at to see what they can change. Casting off all restraints. Think of the drugs, the decriminalization and declassification of drugs. There's those who will never be content until there's no classification until there's no criminalization, until it is a complete free-for-all, casting off all restraints. Now, who's fighting all of this? For the most part, it's people who believe in the Judeo-Christian ethic. And that's why they're, we're being attacked and put down and laughed at the scorn. You think of alcohol sales. Almost every supermarket or every restaurant you'll eat in, you can get as much as you want. Labour government says, let's have open hours, 24 hours a day. We'll be like France and Italy and all these places. What has happened? A complete and utter disaster. Our town centres, <laughs> the police can't cope with the town centres. When all the pubs and clubs get out, the streets are just a disaster area. What about gambling? I remember my father 
when he was a young man. He's what was called a bookies runner. He used to get arrested for it. It wasn't easy to gamble in those days. And that's, that's easy. You just go into the supermarket. Go into Tesco's. Go into Supervalue. Go into any sweet shop in the corner and you can gamble. In fact, you don't even have to go outside. You can just do it on your computer. You can do it on your smartphone. You do it on your mobile. It's just rampant. No restraints. Casting off all restraints. What about abortion? 1967, the Abortion Act for England, Scotland, and Wales was enacted. And in 2007, 40 years later, 6.7 million abortions took place. That's not the world, that's just England, Scotland, and Wales. 6.7 million babies were murdered in their mother's womb. And what's even more startling than that is that 98% was for social reasons only. Not for medical reasons, for social reasons only. Because they didn't want them. 98%. Lord Steele, David Steele, he was then a Liberal MP, was the one who was Church of Scotland, son of a Church of Scotland, minister of all people, was he who got this bill enacted. And now, within this past few weeks, he's come out and said, he says, I never thought it would come to this, where it's been used almost as contraception. Well, he just didn't think hard enough before he got that bill passed. But one day I'll stand before Almighty God and I'll have to give an account for it. So can you imagine if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, if it wasn't for the church around the world trying their best to restrain these things, can you imagine what it's going to be like when that's removed and there is no restraints? And this son of lawlessness, son of perdition, the Antichrist, has got power. What a horrible, wicked, evil world it's going to be. You can see it coming, can't you? Why do you think the church has been attacked? Why do you think Christians especially is coming up for attack in our governments, in our society today? Because they don't want any restraints. A man was arrested in London this week. He's a street preacher. And all he said was that homosexuality is a sin. That's all he said. Police arrested him. Well, they've overstepped their mark. Because we still have some free speech left. Not much, but we still have some. And so the Lord will come again. And when he does come again, he's going to deal with the Antichrist. There's no mistake in that. We read there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, now he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Wow. With the breath of his mouth. The Bible, in one depiction in Revelation, shows Christ with a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. His word. 
will all that he will need to destroy the Antichrist. His word has such power. The word that created the universe. No devil can stand against it. No Antichrist can stand against it. And the brightness of his coming. What a thing that's going to be. By the way, I should just read a little bit more of that. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Hmm. Revelation chapter 6. We're almost through. And part of these seven seal judgments, and then the seven trumpets, the seven bowl judgments. But the sixth seal in Revelation 6, verse 12, I looked, and he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs, when it's shaken by a mighty wind. I think it was last November, I told you this. I think it was October, November. I was preaching away down near Oma, and I came home, it was a Friday night, and I was looking up at the night sky as I do, as I was driving, it was a lovely clear night, and I was looking at Jupiter, and I saw a light underneath Jupiter, and I thought, there's no star underneath Jupiter tonight. What's that? And then it moved, and then another one came, and it moved, and then another one, another one, another one. I thought, it's helicopters, it has to be helicopters. What's the army doing here? There's no base here. And then this all happened very, very fast. So I pulled into the side. I got out of the car. And just as I got out, they were going over my head. And it was fireballs, meteorites. And they were dripping. You could see them dripping. And the speed they were going, and there was probably 15 or 18 of them, just flashing right overhead. Now, they were miles and miles in the sky. But they were big, huge, flashing over. It made the very hair stand up in the back of my neck. I had never in all my years of looking at astronomy, I had never, ever, ever seen fireballs, never seen the like of that in my life. You notice how many times that's been happening recently? Remember in Russia, it happened recently there? It's happened in America recently? When it tells about the stars falling from heaven, that's what it's talking about. It's not talking about stars because the star is like our sun. What do means our sun's a million times bigger than our You could put over a million of our earths in the suns. It's not talking about that falling to the earth. It's talking about these fireballs. And there'll be so many of them. And it'll be so frightening to see. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, and the rich men, and the commanders, and the mighty men, and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, 
foulness and hideth from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who is able to stand? Part of that statement almost seems out of place, doesn't it? Hide us from the face of the wrath of the Lamb. Not the Lion of Judah, but the Lamb. Hmm. The Lamb of God is all it takes. And who will be able to stand against the wrath of the Lamb? Revelation 20, and then we're finished. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit. Imagine falling for a thousand years. Do you ever have a dream you're falling over a cliff and you're waiting to hit the bottom? And you wake up and your bed's ringing with sweat? <laughs> Imagine how the devil's going to feel falling for a thousand years and never hitting the bottom. He cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. Verse 7, now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is of the sand of the sea. This is his last hurrah. You think he'd learned his lesson by now, but he can't stop it. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever. Wow. Christ is coming and he's coming for us in the air and then he's coming back with us on the earth to reign with him aren't you glad that you read the end of the story the climax of the ages in Revelation and every single day of our lives we're getting closer and closer and closer do you know when it comes to the rapture there are no signs left to be fulfilled There's signs of it is coming back to earth. But the rapture could happen any moment. Any second of any moment of any day. That's why we've got to be ready. That's why we need to be saved. Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So we need to get ourselves ready. 
And as we look around the world today and see the attacks against Christians that will increase continually. It's not going to get any better, folks. We need to be ready. And we need not lose hope because we can look up for our redemption is drawn near. Glory to God. Amen. I'd love to go into the next few verses of the Great White Throne of Judgment. In fact, I promise you will do that as a single message, as a message on its own. Because every unbeliever that has ever lived will stand before the Great White Throne of Judgment and the books will be opened. Every believer will stand at the judgment seat of Christ for rewards. Entirely different place, entirely different time. Aren't you glad you're saved tonight? Aren't you glad that we've read the end of the book? Christ wins. Thank you for listening to this message. For more teaching resources, visit www.mpc.org.uk.